Honored to feature Eric Betts on this episode of Conversations with Calcaterra. Eric has been a mentor of mine in uh, in regards to yoga and life. He's just such a positive guy, has a great outlook, and just someone amazing. I mean, you can I think you can sense his energy when he talks. Very calm, very passionate. It just a great guy. And uh, you know, one one thing, one of the, my goals this year, I haven't hit quite yet, so I'm going to have to start working on that a little harder is uh, to perform a handstand. This guy, the the handstands that he does is so amazing. So hopefully uh, I'm training with uh, my friend Ola and uh, trying to build up my shoulders and I need to get back into yoga and hopefully all that work will will help the handstand. And we recorded this conversation September 29th. This was before Standing Rock was really on my radar before I fouled the story of that, um, followed the, the news that Young Turks was putting out and learned more about it. And it was funny how at, at the point of the conversation, we were talking about water and how important water is to life and how important water is to our bodies. As humans, you know, we're made up of, according to NASA, 70% water, which is coincidentally, the earth is just 70%. So it shows how we're connected to the earth. And at one point in the conversation, we were figuring out the numbers, and Eric had mentioned 96%. So I did a little research, and uh, it's a new website that I hadn't, I don't know much about, but uh, what they had stated, it's called Life Science, is roughly 96% of the mass of the human body is made up of four elements, oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen, with a lot of that in the form of water. So it's just looking at just how just that periodic table of elements, how much of it makes up humans and how they're finding a lot of the elements and uh, the structures of our cells on other planets. So it just shows how the universe is connected. And, and that's a cool thing that we talk about in this conversation. So if, if you're into that, it's, it, you know, this is a conversation for you. If you're not, maybe that'll open up just different just different parts, uh, different subject matter and something to get more into. But Eric is, you know, the guy is, I would say, a rock star yogi. So just an amazing teacher. I What I love about his classes is, you know, he always has a little wor- workshop area or there's some time where if you don't know a pose, like a lot of the inversions, there's about 15 minutes to work through that. So I've loved the classes that I've had with him and it's just been amazing. And if and going back to the song that started out the episode, Awakening, another great Ben Sturgill song, really energetic, uh, something, you know, get on, get on iTunes, download it. It's holiday time. Pick up his music box CD, a lot of great songs. And even after, if you're listening to this after the holidays, you're listening to it later on, which is great for podcasts, binging on, on many of the episodes that I have here. If you're still on a CDs, it's a great disc to have. If you're into downloading music, you can definitely download it. Check out his website, bensturgill.com. 
And, and the cool thing, uh, the relation, part of the relation to this song is awakening is like opening up our, our eyes, our spirits, our souls. And in a sense, that's, that's something that happened with Eric. As he talks about in this conversation, he had a car accident, a major car accident, and it, it threw off his body. It couldn't, he, um, he worked as a physical trainer for a number of years. He's always been someone who has been involved in activities, physical activities, sports, and he had this car accident and he had problems getting into the gym just nausea it just it was like a little bit of PTSD from the car accident and uh, it led him a friend of his had invited him to a yoga class and asked him to try that and when he got to the yoga class everything worked out great he was able to to ease into that he wasn't having any problems and then that is what really stimulated him and led his practice into yoga so really cool, really great story, really great conversation. So happy to have you here. And when we're talking about car accidents, when that happens, um, you know, someone to go to is if you have a car accident, your neck is all jacked up and your spine's all messed up. Um, Dr. Mark Holland, who has been a, a great supporter of the show, you know, he specializes in that. He, uh, you know, definitely get in there, get some x-rays, see what's going on. He'll consult, he'll work with your doctors. He's just a... Uh, just an amazing guy. So definitely, if you have a car accident, he is a source to check out. You can find more about him through chironrehab.com. Uh, just, just an amazing guy. He's very open with information. And, uh, you know, I'm happy with uh, just going to him. I just had an adjustment and a massage the other day. And uh, just worked out well. It's, you know, I feel a lot better. Keeping my body in, in tune with all these. I've been working out a lot with, uh, with my buddy Ola. So it's been really good. So I'm looking forward as well, some more more classes with Eric, keep my, uh, keep my uh, body flexible, you know, keep it limber, and hopefully, he's, he's in the process of relocating, but hopefully he'll make it back to the Midwest and, and teach, and I can have some more classes with him, but if anything, he's become a good friend and uh, someone who, whose advice is, you know, definitely I appreciate. So I've enjoyed working with him, you know, speaking of another good friend, we I talk many times about Kevin Blumenkamp, and uh, I think it'd be cool if Kevin could create something, you know, yoga poses. You know, that may be a piece of jewelry that he can he can do. There's so many cool poses, and the abstract of that, um, and different symbols in yoga. So it'd be cool. It'd be cool. I don't I don't think he, Kevin himself, you know, doesn't really practice, but uh, maybe something he can get into. Feel the spirit of that, and uh, and transfer that energy in the form of his artwork so you can find out more about kevin you can come to the uh, conversations with calcaterra facebook page check that out and uh, i'll post some of his work on there and if you want to find out a little bit more about me you can go to kencalcaterra.com on my uh, on my website and then there's a hub with uh, my social media pages so if you find this conversation interesting and enlightening please share you know, that's a cool thing with social media that we have this ability to put topics out there and to put um, and to really spotlight someone who doesn't necessarily have a media presence as others, but has just this amazing story and amazing life. And then that's why I created this podcast. So get out there on your social media, share it and uh, help the show out. I really appreciate that. I want to keep doing this and keep spotlighting people who you may have not heard about, but who I think you'll find to be really interesting. So here he is, my uh, my friend and mentor, 
Eric Betts. All right, Eric, so we're here after a great morning of yoga, and now we're talking yoga and life. How uh, how you doing this morning? Uh, feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. Um, got a decent amount of sleep last night. Um, had a nice drive this morning. I was uh, into into class. I'm in the process of learning Hebrew. Um, so that's pretty fun. You continue uh, to amaze me. So not only <laughs> do you have do you possess this strength for the spectacular handstands and inversions, but uh, now you're learning Hebrew. Where did uh, what's the interest? Is it uh, is your family from Israel? Uh, no, no. Um, my family is actually uh, very much so stateside. Um, I mean, I guess my heritage is uh, German, Irish, Polish, uh, with a little bit of like English and um, <clears throat> I think Italian and Native American in there. Good mix. Um, yeah, you're, you're very diverse. Yes, yes, mostly German, Irish, but yeah, those other things kind of add their little. Genetic uh, benefits, I guess, and defects. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Hebrew um, it comes about. My girlfriend uh, is Israeli, um, and her family is Jewish as well. Um, and she was she learned how to speak Hebrew before she even learned how to speak English. Um, but they're all stateside, so she was raised in America, um, hailing from New York. Um, but yeah, that's more or less where my interest has come from. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. How difficult of a, a language? Because I've studied over the years Italian, and it's it's not a difficult language, but it's of course with anything, it's at repetition. And uh, but some languages, like uh, Germanic languages, are more difficult, or um, a lot of Asian languages are more difficult. How, what would you say as far as learning Hebrew? Where, where does that fall in the spectrum from what you know? Um, well, I speak Spanish uh, as well. Uh, that's more or less where what I learned growing up as a kid, uh, my second language. Um, um, and like English, Spanish, French, um, and a few other like European languages uh, generally follow similar principles and basis. Uh, but Hebrew... Um, from what I'm learning and from what I've come to gather from other people is by far one of the hardest languages to learn. Um, some things just by simply the, like the way you say something or the way you um, pronunciate uh, can make a word very offensive um, or um, whatnot. So there's a very, there's a lot of emphasis on how it sounds as opposed to just saying the words that's interesting so one thing you say if you pronunciate it the wrong way then you're telling somebody off yes <laughs> or like offending like masculine feminine or yeah, yeah. whatnot um but it's actually really it's kind of cool it's it's very different from what i'm used to uh, especially coming from like um more or less like uh well like english spanish french whatnot all stem from latin um or romance language mm -hmm. Which, like I said, like they all follow similar principles. So if you learn English and Spanish, you more or less can learn French. You can learn um, a couple other languages. Yeah, very similar. Very Italian falls into that spectrum yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, this, so this is um, very, very, very different. Um, the one thing I do like about it is I'm left-handed. 
and uh, Hebrew is written backwards. So my hand doesn't smear the ink across the page anymore like, you know, I'm left-handed as well. Spanish. So I yeah, I yeah, I definitely know about that. So well, maybe I should learn Hebrew so then I can <laughs> yeah, have that same benefit. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I can fit it into my schedule, but uh it sounds interesting. So, so how long have you been studying at this point? Um I would say well, very regularly lately, uh, but for the last couple of months off and on, but the last, um, I would say month, uh, daily. That's, um, the program that I'm on is Pimsler's, um, modern Hebrew. And it's, uh, more or less 30 minutes to an hour every day. Okay, so it's a guided program. Yes. Takes you through the steps. Yeah, that that makes it... I've tried for Italian Duolingo, which is an app on the phone. It's great. I don't think they have Hebrew, though, but... uh, Yeah, I actually use Duolingo as well, like brush up on my Spanish. Oh, I I actually... They do have a Hebrew, uh, but it's not very good. Um, That's what I was using previously. Okay, I didn't um, realize they had As one of the techniques or one of the, um, I guess, avenues, Uh and it just wasn't... uh, as effective okay all right well good stuff when did you uh at what point did you get into yoga um i've been doing yoga for a little over three years now um i've been teaching for a little over two um but originally what got me into yoga um well i've been in health and fitness more or less my whole professional life um for the last 10 plus years um and I've been an athlete all my life, uh, but I came to yoga from personal training um, for years. And then I was in a very serious car accident and uh, suffered like a massive concussion and severe brain uh, trauma. And after that, I couldn't really train. I couldn't stand uh, for very long periods of time. I couldn't physically exert myself. Um looking at bright lights or smelling strong smells like I would get dizzy and faint or even like throw up uh, randomly um, without control. Um, and I got tired very easily. Um, and it was also hard to sleep. My Even my thought patterns and like just problem solving, thinking, emotions were completely out of whack um, and ended up having to take time off of work um, just because I couldn't train. Um, and that lasted for about two and a half, three years, um, to the point where I couldn't really work, um, or at least work my passion. Um, and I would go to the gym every day, uh, for like two hours and just like walk around and like, I would do like five pushups and get winded. Um, and I would like walk on a treadmill or an elliptical, um, or I would try to swim and more or less do nothing, but like the gym was like home to me. Um, yeah, that has to be, I mean, what a horrific situation. This is your passion, your love, and you're there, you're trying, but you can't do it. I mean, that's like kind of being trapped Yeah, being very, trapped very in your own body. Very much so. It was like, um, the way I always called it was like, it was like a form of paralysis, um, not necessarily like fully physical, but also like emotional and professionally. Um, 
but yeah, and just going to the gym every day. I had met um, um, a friend. Uh, she was a personal trainer uh, at 24-Hour Fitness, which I didn't train there, um, but that's where I would go. And she had just become a yoga teacher and had been asking me for weeks and weeks to come to class. Uh, and finally, one day I took her up on it and 60 minutes later, like it just clicked um, the emphasis on breath and staying present and being mindful of sensation and feeling in the body and just noticing what's going on within you as well as around you um, while um, physically moving or practicing. Um, and I think that's important. That's a mistake that as you know, in classes that sometimes I just don't breathe. And I think as a society at times we forget to breathe and it's so important. And, and just having that awareness, you, you know, that's both inside and, and outside of ourselves. So, so when you went to that, we went to that first class, how, how did you, so you weren't able, you, you know, the gym wasn't something that was working out. How, how were you physically in that first class? Um, great actually i mean i was hesitant at first i mean i had even in my training back when i was working um would incorporate body weight exercise and different uh yoga poses um i've always been a big body weight person uh so like calisthenics um and martial arts um but just the fact of like being constantly reminded to stay focused and present and be aware of how you're feeling and the availability or option to slow down and take it at your own pace. Um, just having that space um, just allowed everything to kind of come together. Um, and yeah, I made it through the whole class. It wasn't a very challenging class, um, but it was exactly what I needed um, and after class I, I gave my friend a big hug and was like holy crap um, and I went for I think like three weeks uh, at uh, like almost every class that they offered um, and just slowly it got my body back into movement and um, I was able to stay calm and my body wouldn't get so overworked or frustrated or fatigued. Um, just being mindful of my breath and knowing that like, it's about honoring where you're at in your own practice. Um, and after those three weeks, I started doing research about, uh, different yoga studios around town. Um, ended up finding a, studio down in the city um which was actually yoga six st louis um and went there from for my first class uh ended up talking with the teacher who was also a personal trainer great lady um allison hyde and it just like clicked i mean it was a beginner's class that i took even at yoga six um but i spent the la next i think it was six months every day I would go to class 
Um, and I live out in the county, so I would drive 45 plus minutes every day to go to a class. And after those six months, uh, one of the other teachers uh, had approached me about um, just talking about my goals and where I wanted to take my practice and mentioned that they were doing a teacher training. Um, and I did some research on the teachers uh, and the program that they offered. And just in finding a new love of movement um, and a new method or modality, um, it was more or less a question of when as opposed to why or how or what. It was, it was, it hit me so hard. Um, and so, yeah, after about eight months of practicing yoga, I was in teacher training. Um, and, uh, a few months later I was teaching. Um, and after that, it kind of just all fell into place. I taught, um, well over 500, 500 classes in my first year. Um, and I was also practicing every day as well on my own, um, whether in class or at home. And it just kind of took off from there. Um, and slowly but surely, I got more and more uh, back into a physical practice, which reignited my passion for yoga, as well as opened my eyes to what I had been missing with fitness and training. Um, and then I started to fuse and adapt the two together, um, bringing a lot more anatomy and science or scientific based approach to yoga. Um, so you're solely a yoga trainer right now, or do you do still do the other physical training? Um, I have gotten more or back into uh, personal training or fitness training. Um, I don't currently train at a gym, uh, but I do privates um, like in home settings or at parks um, for a few different clients, um, as well as like I've taught fitness classes here and there, um, which one of the things that got me into it was a sculpt class at yoga six, which is kind of yoga fused with weights and fitness. Um, and that's really where it kind of started to bridge the gap. And I started to notice how much uh, one, I missed fitness, um, and weight training, um, as well as how much I loved yoga and how much I wanted to create a hybrid or a bridge between the two, um, really igniting both of my loves for yoga and yeah, fitness. Yeah, that passion, taking that passion, and really with the scientific aspect, I mean, so much of it is form is so important, whether you're lifting weights or whether you're in in yoga and that's one thing that that I really enjoy about your classes that there is that focus on that form you're really great on articulating that so I'm always learning a lot I may not be as graceful as I'd like to be but I think that'll come with time but I think as far as I'm really happy where my strength level is and so kind of just looking at what you're saying there is I, I kind of try to take those same principles when I'm doing that weight training or fitness training as well with, with the trainer that I work with, who's not as versed in yoga, but the breath, you know, he's, I mean, that's just like the basic of everything. That's, that's who we are is as these sentient beings that, yeah, we need that breath. Oxygen is important. So I think that is a staple. So yeah. 
how easy it is for us to forget that when we're exerting ourselves. I, I, I don't know why that is. Very, very, very true. Um, it's one of those things. It's not just like, um, and I mean, a lot of yoga teachers will teach this. I mean, yoga just in general teaches, um, like it, it, it transmits off of the mat, out of the classroom into daily life. Like when you start to struggle or things get hard on your mat or off your mat, out in life at work, like all you need to do is step back, slow down, breathe, and know that whatever's coming will still come. Whatever you're working for, you'll still achieve if you keep working for it. Um, and it's one of those things, especially in our modern society, American society, where everything is just go, 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 like uh, leave yourself by the wayside. Like, um, And I think not just Americans, but everybody in the world would benefit just from slowing down. And I mean, really research shows, um, across the board, like people who live in a little less hasty society, um, or countries that have developed programs around maximum hour work days, um, or maximum amount of hours worked in a week. Um, those people are thriving a lot more with their health, um, and well-being. And here in America, our capitalistic society like everything is just go 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 make as much money as you can um and don't look back whereas yoga teaches you to not just look back and analyze but also and not even just look ahead at where you're going and what you want what goals and dreams you have but to look at the current moment you're in and actually be aware of how you're feeling what you're feeling why you're feeling it um <clears throat> as opposed to just you know, brushing the stress off your shoulders or um, brushing the pain that you feel or the fatigue that you feel from just that never ending go, go, go. Um, there is a time and a place for all of those things. Um, and those things can still be achieved, that go, go, go attitude. But it can be so much more healthy to actually be aware of that constant urge to improve or perfect or impress um, I mean, not that those things shouldn't happen or shouldn't exist in our lives, but being aware of why they exist in our lives, why we want those things in our lives, um, yeah, which to everybody is different. Um, but I think just having that daily awareness, that constant awareness of where you want to go, why you're going and what you're doing here in the moment to take care of yourself, to achieve those things faster it's no different than an athlete trying to use steroids to get to his end result or his goals and dreams faster but he's also tearing his body apart or he, she um and causing or inflicting a lot of harm um yeah for that quick result exactly instead it's, of uh, just the process experiencing <clears throat> the process and that, that's one thing the first i've uh, a couple years ago you know, i just did the basic classes but wasn't going as often as you were, but I did, you know, class here or there. And then there was the opportunity for a yoga challenge in January. And so it was one thing where I definitely grew from that experience of 30 days straight. And there was some things maybe I thought at some point that, well, oh, I should be at the end of the 30 days, be, be able to perform these poses or to do this or get my mind in a certain way. But it, it really doesn't work that way. And then the continuing on throughout the year sporadically and then the next year another 30-day challenge and I could see how 
how much better I was. And then now experiencing the advanced classes, because that's the one thing I probably would have never went to some of the more advanced classes because I was thinking I'm not ready at that point. And instead of easing into them and just showing up and doing what I what I could and then learning the different principles and working up. And that's what I another thing I like how you do. It's building blocks. So I learned with one pose or or one exercise that we're doing is how it's going to lead to the next and to the next and to get up there to do that handstand because to do a handstand isn't just okay, you do it. There's those different elements. So then, you know, if I do the yoga challenge for the third year, I think I'll be in such a better place because of the previous two years and then the classes in between. So it's just that it's that constant building. And, uh, yeah, maybe if I was doing it every day, I would be in a better place, but where I'm at now is, is a pretty good place, I think. So I'm pretty happy with those results and just have to keep pushing forward. Exactly. And that's the whole point is like all of us are in a good place where we are now. Um, there's no reason not to be happy with where you are. Um, as long as you have that, you know, genuine urge for betterment or to learn, um, to seek new knowledge. Like that's ultimately the goal of life is to continually learn until you one day can't learn anymore. Um, well, I think that's a lot of people are, are at, you see people that get to maybe 60 or 70 and it's just like, okay, I've, you know, I'm this age, you know, I can't improve. I can't learn it, which, which I think it's probably never too late to jump in and try something new and learn because if we don't, then that's when, you know, that's when we're done. Yeah. That's when life starts to end is when you don't have purpose, when you have achieved everything that you have, um, which I would like to believe that most people do before their time comes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think that's what happens is when we start to lose that genuine urge for more life that we start to wither and really fade away, um, and lose life. Um, and that's why, well, I can't say that. And there's also the random chance, like everything kind of happens, um, the way it's going to happen. Um, not necessarily the way it should happen or what but everything happens because it happens or because it will happen um and yeah yeah it's a, interesting sometimes you just have to let things let things happen let them flow just i think when we're i don't know when, when we resist or want something too much then it's just that it's that flow of energy and that blockage and i i've been there a ton you know it's just one of those things that it's maybe projecting the wrong energy and that's what we're, that's what's coming back. Um, so I, I think that's one thing that in this country we really don't understand as much. We're starting to, and I think with yoga becoming more popular and, and there's a lot of other techniques, meditation, people are starting to accept those kind of things and slow down a little bit or look at like this smaller house or this tiny house movement. Have Are you familiar with that? Oh, yes. It's, that's interesting in its own right. Just like, well, I don't need this big house. I don't need these McMansions. You know, I can get by and live a good life with with less or, you know, the minimalistic approach. So it's 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 interesting to see how things are, are changing. 
Um, but also right now we're facing a lot of chaos and, and sometimes maybe that's what's required. You need that chaos really to, to stimulate the change. It's, we're in a, we're in a weird time right now. What, what are, what are your thoughts of the state of the world? Um, definitely a weird time. Um, Clinton and Trump, who would have thought, (laughs) um, I'm not even gonna get into politics, but, um, one, I would say, I think it's all kind of relative. I think times are always weird. It just depends on what time you're in. So like back then the time was weird. There's always chaos. There's always whatnot. I mean, without chaos, there is no change. Um, chaos is, is life. Um, and I mean, patience and peace are not something that's, you know, everything's gold in your life and going well and easy patience is and peace is being content and happy with the chaos that is in your life it's seeing the struggle and knowing the obstacles that you have to overcome and still being okay with the present moment and where you're taking your life um and i think that's kind of like uh the ultimate goal is not necessarily just to shy away from everything in the world, um, to be happier, to be content, but to actually like thrust yourself out into the world, out into the chaos, but trying to keep that contentment, that peace inside you so that you can still be fully present and still be fully you. I think when we lose that peace, that's when we start to feel the influence of society like um uh, body dysmorphia type stuff and worrying about how much money i have in my bank account or what kind of car that i drive or how big my house is especially with this tiny house movement it's people starting to awaken to the fact that like i want what i want you know i want a smaller house i want to be able to travel more or i do want the big house and i'm gonna spend whatever i can to get it like that's fine um it's really about being who you are and finding what makes you happy and then going after that um, and trying not to step on any toes along the way. Um, I mean, try to be nice about it, but at the same time, like it's your life and you only have the one as far as I know or we know. So go after what you want um, and be you fiercely, but do it with at least a subtle sense of compassion um, and understanding for the other person. Um, without other people, there is no life. So if one person lived on the earth, like that's not life. That would be hell. That would be, I don't even know the word for that. That would, you know, life is about connection. It's about understanding. And if you were just one, there's, there's no other to understand. There's, you know, that would just be loneliness. Um, Are you familiar with the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton? A little bit, not very much. Yeah, so he's a cellular, cellular biologist, and he, um, I just I just read his latest book, which is called The Honeymoon Effect, and one of the things he talks about in that is how at one point, millions of years ago, it was all these single cells. And of course, those single cells came together, and then they started forming, you know, humans and, you know, other other beings animals and and you know we're made up of millions maybe 
billions of these little cells that have all come together in this community to create us. So even on that cellular level, yeah, there is that need for connection. And I think that's something in my life that I I never realized until I'm starting to become more aware of it, that I was, I guess, always looking for the destination. And like, oh, if I put this project together, and then that'll get me, that'll allow for that connection. So I kind of went about it the wrong way instead of developing that connection to achieve that goal. It was, it was kind of, it seems like I've done things backwards at times, but a great way to learn. But yeah, uh, I mean, sometimes, sometimes the you got to work from start to finish and sometimes you got to work from finish to start. Um, you know, reverse process is very, very applicable to achieving your goals. Um, no different than like, I mean, goal setting itself. Like you set a goal and then figure out the steps along the way. And then, you know what I mean? Back from that goal. So start at the goal, What's the step below that step below that step below that step below that. And then you reverse the process and work towards, um, and yeah, I mean, everything is about connection. I mean, they're finding an asteroids out in space and on the moon that we carry similar cells or amino acids, building blocks of life in our own bodies. Um, we share similar cells with other animals whether reptilian or primate or anything. Same with trees and plants and water. I mean, the earth is mostly made up of water. The human body is mostly made up of water. Um, that in and of itself like tells us like we are always connected to something. And when you try to hide or when you try to pull back away from connection, that, I won't necessarily say it's a problem but I think it's definitely something to look at and explore within you um, or within a society. I mean, even society in general, like people come together to form cities or municipalities or countries. Um, you look at animals, like a lot of animals are pack animals. They travel and live together. Um, I mean, it's just, it's a universal natural law. And one thing I read recently, and that's that's one of the cool things about social media, are these articles pop up and you can read something that you would have not normally, would, wouldn't have normally come across, maybe with a conversation or whatnot, but it kind of speeds that up. And and I didn't, I saved this article and I need to read it, but was how, how trees communicate with one another, which is, is amazing. And, and you look at that and I think the Native Americans really understand that and their connectedness with the earth. And, and right now with not going farther in the politics, but what you said about water being so important, we, I think a study I read were maybe 80% water and maybe it's a little more, but looking at that and how, what's the number that you know? Do you, uh, nine, <clears throat> excuse me, 90 plus. Okay. So 90 plus. And then we look at our, our resources and then like this recent oil pipeline. And it's like, let's not mess with our water. That's just, that's so bad. And and so these people who are connected with the earth are really, these tribes are coming together to stand up for that and to protect this water, which I think is amazing. So hopefully other people start realizing maybe this will be one little piece of that puzzle, this conversation to say, yes, we have to, we have to really, 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 you know, we have to be cautious and protective of our, our water source because we are water. And if that's gone, we're we're done. 
It's very true. <laughs> I mean, without water, like you can go technically over a month without having any food digested or being brought into the body. But they say you can go like three to five days without water. Um, it's one of those things you just cannot live without it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pivotal in our society and we are doing <laughs> the opposite of our best to protect it. Um, the oceans are becoming more and more polluted. Our rivers and lakes, our fresh water systems are being polluted um, with fracking chemicals, um, pesticides and fertilizers. Um, even the whole idea of organic food. Um, most organic farms can't really even claim that they're organic anymore because all of the groundwater that they used, unless they're filtering all of it before it goes into the ground, which is not happening, I mean, it's completely polluted with fertilizers and chemicals and pesticides from all over the place, um, which is kind of nice. Missouri actually has some of the cleanest water in the entire country. And even our water is not that good. And that's scary. Mm -hmm. um, not only that, like we're pumping chemicalized groundwater back into the earth to release natural gas fracking. Um, and more or less, we're breaking up all of the fault lines. Like we're more or less causing the earth to implode, which is why recently if you've been reading about like oklahoma yes and all yes. the earthquake spikes um i think i saw um, an article say that they had something like 500 something earthquakes last year yeah i read that over well. an earthquake a day and it's all within the last few years like mm -hmm. it's just been steadily increasing and increasing and oklahoma is one of the most fracked states in the country yeah it went from 15 i think a few years ago now to 500 so that's that's not a natural occurrence no it's not at all <laughs> And they talk about how natural gas companies would start to lose business or go out of business if they stop. But it's like, where do you draw the line? Is big business or gas the only means of energy and livelihood? Um, not that I want people to lose their jobs or be looking for new industry. Um, but at the same time, like if you're taking away land and natural resources and just property in general, like places to live, like those are the natural rights for people. Um, well, you, you can't really, you know. Yeah. And that empathy towards that. And because I feel the same way. I mean, being able to look at both sides, I have a lot of family members out in Wyoming and, and they've made a lot of money with natural gas and I've done a few projects. And so I've made a little money through that industry, but you look at it and yeah, right now that job, paying my bills, this and that. Yeah, that is very important. But looking long term, if we don't have this planet or we lose, if Oklahoma suddenly just has this big sinkhole, I don't know if that's going to happen, but who knows what could happen with the earth when we keep doing these things, but then that's gone. So does that job really matter? If we don't have clean water, does you know paying my, my electric bill or my water bill at this time matter? I, I think it goes to, there's, there's a proverb that and and I, I need to memorize these better but um the gist of it is you know the man that plants the seed for the tree that he'll never enjoy the shade uh you know it, it's just like we have to do that for future generations otherwise otherwise what we know is is will cease to exist 
I mean, it's again, coming back to that connection piece, like, yes, we're responsible for ourselves and we want to actively seek out for our lives. Like you have to, one of the reasons of being alive is to actually fulfill your inner passion or what you feel your purpose is. So I'm not trying to hold anybody back, but at the same time, you have to also take into account the other people in your life. Like connection is in essence, also a part of life and future generations, kids, grandkids, whatnot, or even those of other families is also part of that connection piece. Um, even connection to the earth itself, like it's all together. We're all in this together. I mean, the earth is a living organism, a huge, massive living organism, and it is way import more important than the human race. Um, if you ask me, um, we're just a piece of that puzzle. Exactly. We're part of that organism, in essence. Definitely. We're all part of that connection, that gigantic system. But I think it's gotten to the point where we have, and maybe it's our egos, or, or we're the one species, you know, as far as thinking, as far as the things we do, that, that's much different than a lot of the others. Um, so, so we're getting to the point where almost that, that we're now becoming parasites to the planet. Um and at some point we have to say, all right, where, where do we stop? How, how do we change? And I think a lot of that is, uh, is a fear factor. Well, if you don't have, oh, if we don't have this pipeline, that's, that's 200 jobs. That's 200 people that's going to be unemployed. And a lot of people can, can relate to that. So right there, it's like, whoa, unemployment, we can't have that. Where at this point, it's never been, we, we've had these little natural disasters, but nothing, nothing of the scale that we have now or nothing that has been, it's, it's all been in one little area. So nothing like, okay, we had a massive earthquake that just knocked out 10 cities. Maybe that's, maybe that puts it in everybody's head that, whoa, okay, wait a second. That one incident just affected 10 different cities oh, or a hundred or, yeah, we haven't gotten to that point And I don't think people are looking that far ahead or saying like, what do we do to keep that from happening? What, what do we keep what do we do to keep the sea levels from rising where we don't, where we, you know, we're going to lose Miami and Venice and, and some other places. I, I don't know until it happens. I don't think people are willing to, to really take those, take the steps to prevent it from happening. Yeah. It's very true. Like, um, I forget who said it, uh, but the general idea is like only at the precipice, like only at that fulcrum point, the tipping point, looking over the edge of disaster or destruction, do we actually consider change to our own beliefs? And I mean, as a species, humans are just that, like we literally push and push and push to the limit until we can't. And then it's at that moment when we decide, do we keep pushing or do we change direction and not go off the edge? Um, and it just, what is that moment? Like, um, is it an earthquake that takes out 10 cities? Or is it sinkholes? Or is it our groundwater being completely contaminated? Um, it just, it's all a matter of perspective. And as well, standing up for that perspective. And beyond that, the people in power that get to decide that perspective. Um, so yeah, it's tough. And I mean, as a, we were raised more or less to think that we are the more or less top of the food chain, the, the Kings of this planet. Um, 
whether you're religious or not, like charged with naming the different species of plants, animals, whatnot, um, more or less giving order to the earth, when in reality it's the earth that gives order to all things and to us. Um, and I mean, people think that we're the highest form of intelligence, um, but actually, as you mentioned before, there's groups of trees um, in South America. I forget the name of the tree. I wish I could, but literally on a cellular level, on a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a cognitive level, literally communicate through one another. Um, and as a collective, all those trees together are said to be a much higher form of intelligence than even a single human. Um, granted, what's a higher form of intelligence than one person? Multiple people, systems of people, groups of people, countries of people, a world of people. And that's that, again, that connection piece. So, again, if there was one person, it would be hard to survive. If there's a few people, it would be much easier. There is always strength in numbers. Um, and so as a people, as a whole, we, in essence, are the most intelligent. But it's when we divide that we actually shrink or lose our intelligence. Together we are strong. Divided. Yeah, yeah. We're weak. Definitely. And I think we're looking at that. We're seeing a lot of that now with, you look, the term, the 1%, the 99%, where we've gotten this small group of people that are gathering a lot of wealth and then and then the rest that are struggling. So it's not working together. It's it's certain people saying yes. I want to I want to continue to make as much money as I can and get every drop of oil out of this planet. Um, and really, it's like yeah. What, what's that money going to do when when we're gone? But at what point did you start developing the the awareness? Because you have this this high level of awareness and this it's this really strong consciousness. When is it something growing up that 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 was that your parents, something that they projected onto you, or is it something that you discovered along the way? Um, and no offense to my parents, I love you, mom and dad, but they're very much so not aware. Um, which I think awareness is much more of a, a new age or modern era type ideology. Um, you know, if you're 50, 60 plus years old, more or less, you were taught like, keep your head to the curb and just keep on working. Um, do your best and that's all you can do, which in essence, that's really all you can do is do your best, live your life. Um, but to actually like open up your eyes and read about other things, other topics that are going on in the world and not just be closed minded and watch the news, which all they portray is death and murder and, um, Yeah, so it's a lot of negativity. Trouble. It is the fear it, because that's that sells. Because then you're you're going to go buy this to comfort, or you're going to do this, um, or we can control you. And so we want you to. All right, if you don't have oil, you're not going to have heat in your house. You're not going to have gas. You're not going to be able to drive your car. When really it's like, well, we have all these other technologies, and let's invest in those, and let's you know let's not miss the boat. And and you know that's plenty of jobs. Exactly. Um. But I mean, going back to, I guess, that awareness piece, um, I guess as a kid, I mean, I always felt a little bit different. 
Um, and I mean, growing up, I've had my fair share of um, trouble or misguidance or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I went from being wanting to be a fireman or a policeman to um, being the special forces um, in the army or a Navy SEAL. Um, and soon learned that that was not even a possibility because I have asthma. Um, and beyond that, um, I mean, even if I didn't have asthma, I would not have made it into the special forces, uh, simply be because of where my life took me. Um, and the things that I learned about, um, in grade school, I thought about becoming a priest. Um, I was raised Catholic. Um, I come from a very Catholic family. Um, and I think religion in a way blinds us to a lot of, it's another way to segregate or divide. Um, and at the same time, find community, um, and unity. Um, but the sheer fact that you call yourself one thing separates you from people who call themselves another thing, which separation is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but that whole idea of like, I'm this and you're that, um, if you can find that bridge between the two, wonderful. But I think simply by that simple notion of separation, it makes it harder to be more connected. Um, but yeah, and then growing up through high school, uh, I studied thoroughly. Um, I went to a religious high school, um, a Jesuit high school, and really studied and learned about religion and religious history throughout the years, multiple religions and things that have come about because of religion, crusades and um, mass murder and genocide through religion. Um, and it still happens to this day. Uh, religious wars is, I mean, it, it it's a never ending battle. Um, and that just like another added piece to the fact that religion separates us. Um, not that religion is bad, but it definitely causes conflict, um, no different than politics. Um, and there's so many aspects of a lot of the major religions that it's like, wait, you want this, you want this, you want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, because we look at it in a different way. And really, is is God this this guy, this this dude up in the sky, or is God this universal energy that we look at? And it's just like, wait a second. Your God is the same as my God. We just, you know, at some point someone interpreted it differently and then formed formed this body, this organization. And then that's how, you know, that's how these group of people, that was their interpretation and their perception. But really, it's it's really when you look at it at like the base level, it's the same thing. It is this, this energy. And so it's like, why are we killing each other over something that is the same thing? I mean, God, in essence, is that higher power, that higher intelligence. And like I said before, like, what's stronger or more intelligent than one person? Multiple people. What's the most intelligent thing? Everybody, or beyond that, everybody and everything working together in harmony. And that's God. That's ultimate intelligence, ultimate powers when things are unified. Um, not that there won't always be conflict. Um Life is chaos. Chaos is life. But with that connection comes the unity, comes that P 
peace in the face of chaos, um, the ability to live sustainably through chaos. Um, and sometimes it's almost kind of that yin-yang that sometimes you need darkness to see the light. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if you believe in the Big Bang Theory, um, I mean, more or less out of a giant explosion, all of life came into existence. Um, I mean, even just that in and of itself, like through destruction came life. I mean, no different than um, the Sequoia or Redwood Forest in California, like without fires without those extreme temperatures in the forest, the seeds from the pine cones of the trees or seeds from the trees won't open and release and reseed. Um, you know, it's, it's the way the world works. I mean, there are animals that consume plants. There are animals that consume other animals um, for sustainability, for life. Um, it's just the way it, it always works. Like out of death, out of destruction, out of chaos comes birth, comes new life, new ideas, um, new sustainability and ways of life. Um, so yeah, I mean, the yin and yang is very, very much so rooted, I think, in all of us, in all things. Like there is no good without bad because without bad, you wouldn't know good. And without good, you wouldn't know bad. And I mean, it's a matter of looking at it as, is it really bad or is it really good? Or is it just the way things are? You know, this happens and then this happens or this happens and then that happens. Um, but I mean, ultimately it either leads to just something new, not necessarily something good or something bad. Um, you yeah. Know. It's like that perception of it, what, what, how you see that and how you deal with that and how you reflect upon it and how you, I guess, how you transcend it. So, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting when you take a, a conversation that kind of starts out as, okay, let's just talk a little bit about yoga. And then you get this really profound and talking about the universe and some things that may, I, I don't know that, that it kind of gets on the fringe when you talk about you know, with myself, I, I look at it. This is based, my belief is kind of based on just my experience. So it's not to say that my belief is right or wrong or mm -hmm. somebody else's. Um, but it's nice to, I guess, finally find the, the comfort in talking about that and not having the fear because it's, it's quite interesting. And if, if somebody finds comfort in the fact of, of God being this, or, I mean, I think how we interpret that in, in prayer is one of the most powerful things. I mean, because it is that energy and you look at, I, I don't think necessarily when you look at prayer, okay, well, this football team prayed more than this other football team. I, I don't think it works that way. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick the Dolphins to win the Super Bowl or whoever it is, where more so it's that energy of prayer that's projecting. And then that energy, of course, allows us to f vibrate at a higher fre frequency. And then therefore, you know, different things happen. Maybe that maybe that has some kind of uh, some kind of force uh, where the ball takes a weird bounce or something. You know, I don't know. It, it can't be proven, but. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting how the world works and how this energy flows. And it's just, uh, yeah, mm. I, I haven't become one with it yet, but uh, hopefully it, but part of the journey to, to do so is, it's nice. It's, it's really good. So I'm very grateful to have that. 
Very true. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is. It's all things are energy. I mean, science has proven, research has proven. Like, I mean, even energy itself cannot be destroyed. Um, energy only transforms. It it never ceases to exist. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's one of the common phrases in yoga um, is at least contemporary yoga, where attention goes, energy flows. So, I mean, if you put it out there enough, if you work hard enough at it or think enough about it or push for it, most likely it's going to happen. It's like that famous, what's the um, the Latin phrase? Well, the English is, if it can happen, it will happen. Um, it just, you know, possibilities are endless. Like, that's just the way the world works like it's not necessarily that it's going to happen but it probably will like if you can think it most likely at some point it was in existence or will be in existence or is in existence um, because that thought simply by it existing proves that the actual physical manifestation could come about or could arise from that thought um I mean, it's just like the idea, like, oh, we thought of the wheel and now look at the unlimited uses of it. Somebody thought originally like, oh, I'm looking at stars. Like, I want to see the stars one day. And now we have space travel. Um, somebody thought about modifying genetics and um, in vitro fertilization. And I mean, it now it's coming about cloning even. I mean, it's amazing what energy or... Just a simple thought can really bring about. Um, yeah. Well, we'll just have to keep thinking about and and putting out the good energy that things are going to be all right and we're uh, we can heal this planet and uh, hopefully as a collective as a society we can we can get to that point. So it was amazing talking with you today. Uh, <laughs> we didn't talk too much about yoga, but. Uh, You'll be around hopefully a little while longer. I know you're transitioning, moving up to moving up to New York for a new adventure. So we will definitely miss you here. But uh, you know, hopefully with uh, with the technology we have and keep in touch. And uh, I don't know you can pop back every now and then for a workshop, or I'll get oh. that get that handstand one of these days. So thank you so much for your guidance. And one thing you always do, which I I think is pretty amazing, is you always in your class with the, the greeting and just the, you know, telling the class that, that I love you. And so I want to end this podcast with saying the same thing. Thank you for your influence and just uh, our interaction. And, and I love you. Thank you, Ken. I thoroughly enjoy hearing that. And I extend that right back to you as I did earlier. I love you too.